Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I'm in a period of emotional people. Is that all the, oh, I don't care crap? A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm going to steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Terramount Plus. This episode of Mission Log is brought to you by the official Star Trek Starships Collection. Get the Enterprise D for only $4.95 when you sign up today at st-starships.com slash mission log. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 216, The Next Phase. Welcome into Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Ken Ray. Each week on Mission Log, we watch an episode of Star Trek, taking it apart for morals, meanings, and messages, and figuring out whether the whole thing holds up. This week, the next phase, not to be confused with Phase 2, nor Deep Space Nine. This is the TNG episode of the next phase, the one where Geordi and Roe die, except they don't. And the Romulans blow up the Enterprise, except... They don't. Points to them, though, for trying this time, I will say. I mean, because you always make fun of them, right? The Romulans never do anything. Man, they really showed up this time. They seriously... This time, they were ready. They were so ready. Yeah, they would have so blown up the Enterprise. Except, of course, once again, yeah, we meet a Romulan. Pretty much safe. (laughs) Uh, In a moment, John's got trivia for the next phase. But first, let us tell you all about the official Star Trek Starships collection, Brought to you by Eagle Moss, sponsors of this week's show. You've heard us talk about them before, of course. These are the tiny little ships ready to fly into your life as soon as you are ready to let them. Hey, and Ken and everybody else, good thing to know about having a bunch of tiny little starships. Um, If you have to eject the warp core, it's only going to make a tiny little explosion. (laughs) And you only need a tiny little shield to protect you from damage. Uh, So that's one, just one good reason, among many others, to collect the official Star Trek Starships collection. As opposed to, say, you know, full-size replicas of more than 100 ships, because seriously, where would you put those? Really quickly, though, uh, we should say that the little tiny shield that you will need to protect yourself from the little tiny warp explosion, not included. Right. Yeah, so <laughs> you, are, you are actually going to have to get your own shield, but, uh, but it's a small one, so it should be fine. Yeah, tiny, tiny little shield. Um, but hey, look, you don't have to worry about space concerns where to fit a full-size replica. Um, these guys are amazingly accurate detailed miniatures of ships from the original series to beyond and everything in between. And here is how you can start your own fleet. You subscribe to the official Star Trek Starships collection and you get two ships a month. And it's not just the ships that you get. You also get the magazine filled with the production notes, the design notes, the in-universe information, all that stuff. Uh, Plus, you get a digital download of that magazine, which not only gives you access to even more content online... It also lets you keep the physical magazine as close to new as possible. And you get all that for $20 per ship. That's two ships a month, two magazines a month. Each comes with a stand. <laughs> you get the digital <laughs> magazines as well. All that for 40 bucks a month. Yeah, because, I mean, again, if you had a full-size ship, you'd have to have a full-size stand. It just, it, the problems escalate from there. Yeah, seriously. So. And, and like you say, at the very least, you would need a hangar. Yeah. Plus, like, another hangar for each additional ship you get. That would be crazy. Uh, that would be crazy. 
<laughs> so remember, you get extra surprises the longer you stay subscribed. And you can start your subscription with an amazing deal. Get the Enterprise 1701D, host to such ghosts as Rolaren and Jordi LaForge and uh, Space Ghosts. Yeah. Maybe. Sure. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. You don't know. Seems possible. Yeah, so you get all of that, the Enterprise D and its accompanying magazine for four ninety five to try it out. The address to do that is st starshipscom slash mission log. St starshipscom slash mission log. Trying it out not only supports this show, it makes you the commander of your own personal fleet. That address again is st-starships.com slash mission log. And a big thanks to Eagle Moss for sponsoring Mission Log. Yes, a big thanks to them. And we would love to see, we've said this before, we would love to see, uh, you know, what you've done with your ships, how you've set them up, things like that. And of course, we'd also just love to hear from you. There are lots of ways to get in touch with us. Uh, Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we would love to hear your voice. 323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including Discover Documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember, if you forget everything else, just know this. We may, may use your comments on an upcoming episode (laughs) of Mission Log. Trying to sell that in so many different ways, dude. Don't know why exactly, but... Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've been doing that. We've been saying something like that for 215 episodes. Yeah, but you know what? But we do use comments. And, no, it's and true. It, yeah. In fact, we, we've done entire shows around comments. Not only do we use content, we may. We may. <laughs> may not. Right. Yeah, I think that's implied. Hey, uh, it's time now for uh, for uh, everybody's favorite part of the show. Uh, lots of people's part of the favorite favorite. <laughs> Lots of people's favorite part of the show. That's what I... Dude, whatever. Hey, do trivia, please, so I can go off and do something else. All right, Ken. Today's show is written by Ronald D. Moore. Needs no introduction at this point, I think. And directed by David Carson. We've talked about David Carson before. Got his start with British TV. And his first contribution to Star Trek was the Next Gen episode, The Enemy. This is his last episode on Next Generation. Now, interesting bit of trivia here. Rose's storyline would have originally been Deanna Troy, but it felt right to Brandon Braga, Ron Moore, etc., to shift the focus onto Roe and give her something physical to do. If you recall, Deanna's had a lot of physical stuff to do, like, oh, you know, kicking a guy and punching a guy. So why not give some of that to Roe this time around? Now, it is a bottle show. We've talked about that term before. A bottle show is meant to save on the budget, uh, so you shoot everything on existing sets, right? Well, good idea, but those transparency effects that we see throughout don't come cheap. At least they didn't in 1992. This episode was enormously expensive. In fact, it was one of the most expensive of the entire season. And after all that work on visual effects, well, the Emmy nomination didn't go to visual effects. Uh, This episode got nominated for sound mixing. See, I think that's, I think that's kind of terrible because honestly, most of even in nineteen, well, we're in two thousand something now, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) Even today, um, uh, most of those effects, like walking through the table and things like that, they they look, 
I hate to say it. They look fairly cheesy. There was mm-hmm. one effect, though, that was absolutely amazing. When Jordy was having trouble sort of inserting his hand into the table. Yeah, absolutely. That yeah. was an amazing effect. That, to me, seems Emmy-worthy. Yep, I totally agree. That effect was incredible, and the rest of it was sort of like, oh, yeah, spooky. Yeah, I'm afraid the Emmy nomination panel did not agree with either you or me in this case. So um, in this episode, man, we have a great-looking hero prop of the Romulan Disruptor. Now, we saw it before in Contagion, but not this level of detail and close-up and with the Destruct. It just... You know, it made my nerd heart flutter, so I had to bring it up here and point it out. I'm sure that everybody noticed it. And we also have a good look at an old friend. Yes, I'm talking about the Wrath of Khan Romulan Ale Bottle, front and center, when we get to that last scene in the episode. Now, let's talk about guest stars, and we'll look at our Romulans first, uh, three of them who all share the distinction of being invited back for more Star Trek after this episode. First off, we have Thomas Kopachi, Mirak, the Romulan science officer. Now, he started out playing mostly authority figures, cops, wardens, sheriffs, etc. And later he appeared in some great movies in addition to his TV guest work. Uh, movies like Catch Me If You Can, No Country for Old Men, Leaving Las Vegas. He plays no fewer than seven characters on Star Trek. So we will get to see him six more times. And he manages to turn up in each of the remaining series, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, and Enterprise. He's got one more role in Next Gen, and he will also show up in the movie Generations. Susanna Thompson. Now, Susanna is a native Californian who has been working in TV since the early 90s, pretty much nonstop. She's been in X-Files, LA Law, Alienation, Dark Horizon, NYPD Blue, recurring roles on The Book of Daniel, once and again, NCIS, and Arrow. She will be back for one more turn on Next Gen, and we will see her on Deep Space Nine. And perhaps she is best known in Trek history for playing the Borg Queen, no, not in First Contact, but rather in four episodes of Voyager. We also have Brian Cousins. Brian got his professional acting start in 1989's Longtime Companion, uh, an early and acclaimed film that tried to contextualize the emergence of the AIDS crisis in the 80s. After that, he accumulated a number of TV credits, and many of them science fiction, uh, Space Above and Beyond, Roswell, Babylon 5, Sliders, and Dark Skies, and many more. And we will see him three more times on Star Trek, twice in Next Gen, and once in Enterprise. And finally, Shelby Leverington. Uh, She's playing the Enterprise transporter technician Brosmer. Her career launched in a very unusual way. She was a struggling actor and met a handful of film students in New York. A short film that she starred in with those students, called No Lies, was a huge success, receiving an Emmy Award and years later named to the National Film Registry. She's appeared in episodes of ER, Mike Hammer, Tales from the Crypt, L.A. Law, Matlock. She was in the movie Cloak and Dagger for When You Need Your Dabney Coleman Fix. And she was in Blake Edwards' S.O.B. Next phase, new wave, dance craze. Anyways, it is still next gen to me. Prologue. The Enterprise receives a distress call from a Romulan ship. If someone doesn't do something, it'll explode. Riker, Worf, LaForge, and Roe beam over. 
The Romulan ship will need a new graviton field generator, but the ship's replicators are damaged, so a new graviton field generator will have to be replicated on the Enterprise. LaForge and Roe beam over with the old graviton field generator, except they don't. Transporter Chief Brosmer says the Enterprise can't catch them, but they don't return to the Romulan ship either. They're just gone. Act 1. Seriously, they're gone. Sensors detect nothing. Counselor Troy's empathic abilities sense nothing. The Forge and Row are gone. But there's still work to be done. The Romulans still need a new graviton field generator, or its warp core will collapse and the ship will explode. Picard sends data, and a shuttle, to get to work on that. On the Romulan ship, they need to eject the warp core, but they can't. Not until data gets there, anyway. He saves the day from inside the ship while the Enterprise extends its shields around the Romulan ship, saving it from being destroyed by the exploding, jettisoned warp core. Crisis averted, Picard heads to sickbay. He's got to talk Dr. Crusher into abandoning Hope and issuing death certificates for LaForge and Roe. All of this is seen by Ensign Roe, but no one sees her. No one hears her. She's walking, she's talking... But as far as anyone else is concerned, she and Geordi are dead. Picard exits sickbay, walking straight through Roe Laren. Act 2. Roe is having difficulty accepting her death. And who can blame her? She's yelling at Dr. Crusher, as she had at Picard, that she is still alive. But it's no use. She watches as Crusher lists Roe's status in her personnel file as deceased. Repairs are going well for the Romulans. The Enterprise will be able to give them an engine underpowered, but it'll get them home. The Federation ship is also charging the Romulan vessel. Like giving it energy, not demanding payment. Also, Worf tells Riker that the Romulans want a computer. Something he cannot allow. The Romulans cannot be given access to that level of Federation technology. Riker suggests giving them a computer that's decades old instead. That sits well with the Klingon security chief. On a personal note, Data asks Picard if he can plan the memorial for Geordi and Roe Laren. After all, Geordi was Data's best friend. Picard hands the duty off to the android. Speaking of Geordi, he's wandering around engineering, sort of freaking out. No one can see him or hear him. No one that is except Roe Laren. They establish that the same thing is happening to both of them. Interesting thing, though, they are solid to each other. Now, remember how Roe couldn't accept her own death at the start of Act 2? She's completely on board by the end of it. She thinks she and LaForge are Borjas, spirits who need to make peace with their former lives before moving on to... whatever. Geordi won't hear it, though. He's a ghost with a uniform who still needs a visor. She can play dead if she wants to. Geordi is going to get to the bottom of this. Act 3. Data is one busy android. Not only is he planning the memorial, it is also his job to figure out the cause of the transporter malfunction that lost them LaForge and Roe. He's picking up chroniton fields on the Enterprise. He thinks the malfunction and the chroniton fields may have something to do with the damage sustained by the Romulan cloaking device in the explosion before the Enterprise arrived. He'll need to check that out on the Romulan ship. Roe, meanwhile, is saying her goodbyes. She starts with Picard, though she still finds him intimidating. Anyway, her goodbye is cut short by Geordi. He was in the transporter room when Data was working through the chroniton thing with Brosmer. Now he wants Roe to come with him on the shuttle to the Romulan ship to see what they can see. 
She can say her goodbyes later if she wants to. Right now, Jordy needs her help. It's not just Data and the invisible Rowan LaForge headed to the Romulan ship. Worf is going as well. And Data would like Worf's advice on Memorial. While humans tend to be solemn around such things, and the Bajoran have long, intricate rituals, Worf is stoked for both of them. They have died in the line of duty, which is joyful to a Klingon. So maybe ask somebody else about the memorial. On the Romulan ship, Geordi spots what looks like an interphase generator. Basically, this theoretically theoretical device would let matter exist within other matter. Ships wouldn't be cloaked exactly. They'd be altered, able to hide in the planet, say, or inside other ships. They would exist on another molecular plane. Geordi figures that's probably what's happened to them as well. The existence of the inverter is confirmed by the Romulans. Talking privately, they worry that Data's investigation on their ship will lead to the inverter's discovery. So they have a plan. They'll set up a feedback loop in the power being sent over by the Enterprise. It'll build a muon energy wave in the dilithium chamber. Then when it goes to warp, the Federation ship will explode. All of this is heard by Roe and LaForge. They need to find a way back to life so that everyone else doesn't die. They head back to the shuttle, followed by a shifty-looking Romulan, who it turns out can also walk through things. Act 4. Chroniton fields are turning up all over the Enterprise. Data and Transporter Chief Bosmer lay out where they've turned up so far. The Invisible Geordi hears the list and puts it together. He and Roe are leaving Chroniton signatures wherever they go. Oh, and that third Chronoson field? That's the shifty-looking Romulan, getting a gander at everything on the Enterprise. In engineering, Data is finding and eliminating Chronoson fields. It's not Geordi that's producing the fields exactly, but things through which Geordi has passed, or things that he's touched. So Geordi starts touching everything, hoping that Data will put two and the pretty much non-existent two together and realize that Geordi's alive. At one point, Data eliminates a field right where Geordi's hand is. And for a second, Geordi's hand seems a tiny bit more solid to Geordi. But Data's on to other things now. Meanwhile, Roe has trailed Bosmer to the bridge to keep an eye on her investigation. And there's the shifty-looking Romulan. He can see and hear Roe. And he assures her that the disruptor in his hand is working, since he was wearing it when his matter was inverted. It'll kill her. And so will he if she doesn't take him to Geordi, the one who can make them normal again. Of course, Roe has no intention of helping the Romulan. Instead, she runs away, through the walls and furniture and all sorts of things. Then he follows, firing his disruptor as he goes. Brosmer hails Data. Tons of chroniton fields are being created by the unseen chase between Roe and the Romulan. Data heads to Deck 17, with an unseen Geordi tagging along. While Data sees nothing, Geordi sees Roe and the Romulan fighting. Geordi knocks the Romulan through the ship's outer hull into the vastness of space. Act 5. The Muon wave being set up by the Romulans is still undetected by the Enterprise, and Geordi and Roe are getting desperate to warn the crew. What they need to do is create a huge buildup of chroniton waves, causing Brosmer and Data to decontaminate, making the two visible, and saving the ship. Of course, the place to do that is the memorial for Roe and LaForge. Everyone will be there, or lots of important people anyway. There's lots of almost not working, then it finally does work, of course, and the two officers are brought back into phase. 
Jordy calls for a level 3 diagnostic to detect and defuse the muon wave. Then he and Roe join the party. Because, yeah, it's a party. Data finally decided to celebrate the two officers and the lives they led, rather than produce a sad, somber affair. Post-party, Roe lets herself have her existential crisis. You know, now that she exists again. Roe thought she knew everything, then realized she didn't. Jordy jokes that maybe the Federation should work on a phase inverter of its own. If it can teach Roe Laren humility, it can do anything. Great big laugh. The end. I feel like you and I should have a freeze frame right now and a laugh <laughs> and roll the credits. <laughs> well, let's talk about what a jerk you are and then you laugh about that. Or we can talk we'll about just... what an idiot I am and I'll laugh about that. Yeah, yeah. Just, just laugh about let's it. Let's decide which of us has a big shortcoming about which we're fine. And Roe, proven time and time again, she's got a great sense of humor. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, <laughs> you can just, just right. make that joke with no problem. Yeah, like remember that time yeah. she was laughing it up with everybody in 10 Ford? Go away. I don't want to be with you. What a hoot. Fun times. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. Hey, as I recall, and correct me if I'm wrong, because, you know, I, I, I haven't watched all of the Star Trek, mm-hmm. um, but I thought those transporters can do just about anything. Yeah. Uh, if I learned anything from the original series and uh, the animated series and mm-hmm. maybe earlier episodes of Next Gen, can't they just look in the buffer and like, hey, look, there, there's pieces of Roe and Geordi all over this thing. So we'll just make a new one. We'll, we'll kind of, we'll do what we did with Pulaski and we'll, we'll go get a hair from, you know, Roe's brush. And yeah. suddenly we've got a whole new Roe. Don't have to worry about whole it. whole new Pulaski. I assume you can actually hear me pushing my glasses up the bridge of my nose when I say there are those, John, who would say that the animated series is not actually canon. So we have to remove uh, that from your... Figuring. Um, here's the you thing. Said I, the actually, C word. I, actually, I actually started wondering. Not that, what? I did not. You misheard you said, me. Yeah, you, you said canon. Oh, canon. Yeah. Okay. Wow. The, I the, really the thought you were talking about something else. Will not be spoken. Mm-hmm. Um, what I actually found myself wondering is like, what are the rules around transporters? Because here's the thing. Yes, there's absolutely no reason you should not be able to do what you're talking about. Except mm-hmm. once you realize that you can just be recreated over and over again, then first of all, you have to have the bones discussion every time you get on the transporter, which oh, yeah. is you're being killed. You are being right. killed. Right. And don't worry about it because we're going to bring you back to life in like less than a second. You're going to have all your memories and it's going to be totally fine except for the part where, yes, you are in fact dying while this is going mm-hmm. on. But then the other thing is once you realize that they could just make a hundred of me, you'd never get on mm-hmm. that thing. Riker would never get... If Riker thought there was a chance of even one more Riker being created by the transporter, he would never take a transporter again. Oh, no. Yeah, no. witness uh, what happened with, um, uh, you know, with the Bringloidians and, and the other people. Yeah. When he's like, I don't want to be cloned. Make another one of me, please. There's one of me, and I'm glad about that. Ta-ha. Yeah. Same, actually, yeah. come to think of it, though, didn't Pulaski say the same thing? Mm-hmm. And yet we'd already regenerated her from a hair. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I actually started yeah. wondering about, like, all of the ethics that were decided about the transporters. And then nobody else even thought about it, right? Kirk never thought about that. It's just like, no, oh, we, we have no room for that. We have no room for that in this <laughs> show. <laughs> I have to hurry up and get someplace else. I'm not going to worry about whether or not it will kill me, you know, by default. I thought it was interesting that we saw Deanna's reaction when Brosmer from the transporter room announces that Jordy and Roe are lost. Like, 
like Picard is looking to her for some confirmation that they're gone. Now, Deanna feels emotions. I, I get that. But I, I wondered if she's tuned into transporters as well. Or wouldn't she have to, out of the thousand people on the ship, she's aware of the two people's emotions that are beaming over from another place. It just it seemed like a weird reaction to look to her for that. I can understand she'd be upset. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, we just lost two people that are part of my crew and my friends, you know. Right. But it, it seemed like an odd thing, like Picard's looking to her. Boy, it's... It, is Brosmer right, the one who's standing there in front of the transporter controls who would know this? Please, I, empath, let me know. Yeah, yeah. I it was yeah. it, it did seem sort of an odd shot, especially where there's no payoff. No. But no. she's there, and you need a reaction shot, so who can give me that yeah. this week? Oh, okay, you. Remember how earlier in this episode of the podcast, very much like every episode of the podcast, we say, hey, uh, if you write to us, we may talk about what you wrote about on the show yeah okay so walking through walls but not falling through floors or or maybe a romulan sitting in a chair i would say that this is one of those observations that everyone who has seen this episode mentioned to us before we started Mm -hmm. Uh, whether it's a tweet or an email or or a comment from somewhere and yeah I, i i hear you i hear you mission log listeners who um saw this and and kind of cringed at it yeah it, it's bothersome and and there's really just no good hand-waving explanation to try to let it slide other than just saying that's the reality of the episode um i kept trying to piece it together like okay maybe the maybe the soles of their shoes are in phase <laughs> with the floor but then if data's looking he's just going to see a bunch of shoes running around like That's no there, there's just no good way yeah here's yeah. the problem I, I i say though you can't even really forgive it and it's one scene that makes the whole it makes it all unforgivable like if you had only had mm-hmm. them walking on the floor the whole time i'd be fine with that and they even have to take the turbo lift from one place to another because you know those floors they're tricky for these right, people yeah. living a completely different uh, in a completely different phase um, where it falls short, though, is we see Ro touch the chair where she sits on the bridge, and then we see her mm-hmm. touch the control panel, and her hand does not go through either of those things. She is actually able to touch them and appreciate them. And I guess mm, you right. could say that that part of it is to show you know, her connection, because she hasn't been there for that long, but it's showing, oh, this is home for her. She finally feels like she's got a place here, and these are things that she's going to miss. The only problem yeah. is she is literally disconnected. Right. I mean, that is the whole conceit of the episode is you can't touch anything. And then we see her touch the panel like if her hand had gone through it. And then there's a chance for Michelle Forbes to actually really act even more at that point. Like right, her hand goes through and she can't even appreciate this one thing. Literally, she did not appreciate this thing that was, you know, right at her fingertips the whole time. And now she can't touch it, except, of course, she does touch it. And so then it just becomes (laughs) ridiculous. Now, all that said. Um, yeah. Boy, Jordy takes to walking through walls like a duck to water, doesn't he? Oh, he does. He's like, like straight up like, I'm leaving. And then he goes like, can I just tell you? So like I lived in the same place for about six years. And in mm-hmm. that place, um, the trash can was under the sink. Mm-hmm. And then I moved about a year and a half ago. And the trash can is not under the sink in the new place. And still, every now and then I go to throw something away under the sink, even though the trash right. can has not been there right. for like a year and a half. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. I'm used to the trash can being there. Jordy, I have to figure, is more used to not walking through walls <laughs> than I was to where the trash yeah, can was. Yeah. And yet I'll still make that mistake. But he's like, hey, nuts to you, Roll there. And I'm walking straight that, like, straight that way. 
Right. I mean, it's, it's a cool effect <laughs> when he like you know knocks the Romulan out into space. It's amazingly mm. surprising that he doesn't accidentally wander out into space himself. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would even have to ask if you could do that. Would you want to do that? Like, do I want to see whatever is sandwiched in between the walls of my place? Yes. Yeah, there, there's pipes and there's cables yes. and, and who knows what else in there. <laughs> yes. If I, if I can get I, used to it, I would absolutely want to do that. No question. <laughs> no, I, I want no part of it. I would so I, I, want to do that. No, I that's, want no That's part how you find it. hidden treasure, dude. Yeah, or, or a body. <laughs> well, I don't know. Or a body. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. You're right. Or a body. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Worf has a great idea. Uh, he, he confers with Riker uh, that the Romulans want a computer. Mm-hmm. Well, we could give them a 30-year-old computer. Now, first of all, I find this kind of hilarious just from the standpoint of what we know now about computers. So as of this recording, it's only the early 21st century, mm-hmm. and computers are literally in everything like phones and refrigerators and cars like you you can't walk 6 feet without something that has a computer in it right right, right. now obviously they're talking about something they're talking about a computer core okay well i guess if you extrapolate and say well they need something more powerful okay all right i'll i'll give them that but then the enterprise is flying around with a 30 year old computer Mm-hmm. Which would essentially be like me just constantly keeping a Commodore 64 in the trunk of my car. <laughs> and sure, I know what you're thinking. The, the ladies would love that. They would think it's cool. But why would I be doing that in the first place? Yeah. Just, yeah, it's, yeah. It's actually very odd because we know that we're going we're gonna to have the computer replicate a graviton generator mm-hmm. or a graviton field generator or whatever it was called. We're going to have the computer build the tech that will tech the tech for us. Yeah. But, but apparently we can't have the computer build a computer. And actually, I actually started wondering, like, is that like to, you know, is this part of like staving off sort of like a like an AI revolution? Like if a computer knows that it can make an inferior computer, might it then try its luck at creating a superior computer? Mm. You know, and so we just like no yeah. computer just cannot create another computer. That's the deal. I mean, you know, sadly, we never get deep thought then and then we never get the earth. But, you know. Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah, that's uh, I just I, I bet if you go to the replicator store where you can get, you know, wedding gifts and you know, all somewhere in there in that catalog, there's an Amiga. Maybe. And, you know. Yes. You know, oh, hey, hey, Romulans, you need to back up. OK, well, here's here's this thing that runs on a cassette tape that you plug in. Just give it give it a, a week and you'll right. have a backup. You and know? the Romulans fly away thinking, man, the Federation stinks, doesn't it? We're up to 5.2-inch <laughs> floppies at this point. <laughs> right. Or 3.5 even. Maybe we have 3.5 yeah. floppies, and they're still using they're still using cassettes. Mm-hmm. We should be able mm-hmm. to take them. Maybe someday <laughs> Maybe someday we should stop threatening and just do it. You think? Yeah. Ah, no. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> hey, uh, and the shuttlecraft data said that he didn't know what a friend was until he met Jordy, which was really charming and really nice to hear. And then Roe just completely dismisses it. <laughs> just, wow, he, he almost sounds human, right? Yeah. Wow, he, he almost sounds like he feels something. That's, yeah, thanks, Well, Ro. we all know he doesn't feel anything, though. And if you, if you think he might, just ask him. Yeah, because he doesn't. He will tell you straight up and down he doesn't. Over and mm-hmm. over and over again. Yeah. I thought it was interesting that Picard's consciousness, if I remember this correctly, he was able to write the letter P in a computer that was in Lonely Among Us when 
you know, he was sort of disembodied and taken over by the uh, alien entity. Mm-hmm. And I thought, Shorty should have spelled his name in the console when data was scanning for chronotons. All right. We're, we're actually, it occurs to me, we're falling into a trap in this segment. What is that? Well, we're like, we're like either solving all of the writer's problems or pointing out all the writer's foibles. Mm. Yeah. Cause you're yeah. not wrong. Okay. Like, like, like Jordy should have just like written his name. Yeah. Right. He's just like, or just a like, whole thing. Just like, Hey data, it's me, Jordy. <laughs> How's it going? <laughs> Why don't you point that thing over here? <laughs> that's yeah. funny. That's actually, that's okay. Yeah, nice. You're right. Let's go ahead and keep solving the writer problems then, because that was a great, that was, yeah, that was very good. I got no problems to solve. I, all I have to add is just that uh, the blonde woman who was brushing her hair uh, yeah. when they're having that kind of chase, she's wearing a space towel. Yeah, she is. And, and interestingly enough, it's really the closest thing to a compromising position that Roe or Jordy ever walk in on. Right. You know, they, they can walk through walls. They're just going into people's cabins and they don't care. And just they, they never catch anything. They never, you know, even when Roe is in the ready room and Riker leaves, then Picard immediately goes back to studying something serious. He's not looking at, you know, cat videos. I'm so OK. Or, cat videos. Right? I was mm-hmm. like, what do you what do you think that the captain does in his ready room? Cat videos. Okay. All right. Yeah, I just I just said it. That's Ken. better than All that's right. better than what I thought you thought he was going to do. Yeah, cat videos. All right, man. All right. I don't know what else? Yeah. Um, question for you: Is it appropriate for Roe to aim even an out of phase disruptor right at Riker's head? Probably not. Although I was actually thinking, why isn't she shooting his crotch? Mm-hmm. It seemed to me that that would be, yeah. and they could have done that whole thing off camera. Honestly, they would have saved a little money too, because all we would have seen is her <laughs> point down at just that angle. You don't even need to see the beam at that point. You just hear it. And then kids right. would be like, oh man, she shot him in the leg, you know? Yeah. And everybody else yeah. watching would be like, oh yeah, she, he had that coming. He really did. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think nobody would blame her um i do have to say i do have to say that uh jordy you know from the beginning jordy is a really grounded character you know he's mm-hmm. sort of the guy who's very relatable and i can relate that if i came back from the dead after two days i would eat everything in sight good good on him for doing that just chowing away yeah pretty good spread the data put together too i don't know where he got mm-hmm. the idea for the dixieland jazz band but props to him and props to that too that's that's yeah I, I don't think I want that at my funeral. I don't really care, though, because I won't be there. <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm not going to impose that on people who don't like it necessarily. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought it was a decent party he was throwing and, 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 and a good time to do it as well. Part funk, cool punk, even if it is all junk, it is still next gen to me. So there's a few points in this episode. Um, I, I had kind of hoped that there would be a little deeper dive into the relative beliefs that Roe and Jordy have. So they're both weirded out, uh, thinking, at least in Roe's case, that they really are truly dead. And this would have some kind of a you know crisis of faith or at least you know deep existential shock for her and for Jordy too it would be interesting if he had at least had a moment kind of considering that you know I, I remember in power play that Picard immediately dismissed the possibility of ghosts as soon as Worf brought it up 
It was just like, nope, yeah, that, that's a great ancient belief that you guys had, but uh, that's not this, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, he actually does the same thing at the end of this episode, too, when they when they do the whole decontamination thing at the memorial. Oh, right. Yeah. And he says to Data, did you see that? And Data says, I did, sir. And Picard says, well, they're not ghosts, so what are they? <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. No, not even like half a second of like, oh, wait, wait, wait they're dead. But I just, uh, maybe it's something else. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I kind of wondered if Jordy would be so dismissive immediately. And I really wondered how deeply Roe would dig in on her beliefs. Now, granted, she she's faced with this very logical proposition by Jordy saying, hey, look, if we are dead, then what I'm attempting to do won't make any difference anyway. So don't worry about it. Um, but it would have been interesting to see if she actually is going to dig in on her beliefs about that. Now, I, I did enjoy hearing others like Jordy and Worf bring their own views on what a funeral or a send-off should be like. You know, I, I thought that was one of the more interesting things here. It, it's not a a big thing in the episode, but hearing Data rattle off like, oh, there's 5,000 funerary customs, and I looked into all of them, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, and hearing Worf's take, as you mentioned in the uh, in the recap, it was a glorious time. They they died while in duty for their their jobs. It was so great, you know. Um, now, interestingly, Roe has her existential worry at the very end. Well, one of her existential worries at the very end of the episode, saying she always discounted stories of the afterlife, and then she was dead. But she wasn't. <laughs> that, right. that, that seemed like the wrong time to have that worry because she she wasn't. She actually didn't experience death. So um, she should just chow down with Jordy because he had quite the spread. But, um, yeah, it, you know, I, I thought it was it was almost there. It was almost there to have a, a deep discussion about this, but I, I understand, you know, we needed to have some action in there as well. Um, I also thought about how a few seasons ago, we heard the, the backstory, the production backstory about how Jeremy Astor shouldn't be so bummed out because death is just a part of life. And by the 24th century, we've just sort of learned to accept it. Mm -hmm. There's a much bigger deal here made about Roe and Jordy's deaths. Now, like you, I really like that we have a New Orleans jazz funeral and that mm -hmm. it, it is upbeat and it's a celebration of life, as they say now. All that was a wonderful idea and a great way to celebrate these two characters. Very different from what we did with Tasha Yar. But clearly everybody is impacted by those deaths. And, and I wonder if that was just, again, because these are main characters and not somebody invented new like Jeremy Astor. Um, and one other thing about that jazz funeral, I'll just say um, we didn't see the guy in the khakis, but we saw some really interestingly patterned <laughs> civilian clothes. Yeah. Really interesting. We did see a guy not in khakis, but in sort of brown pants, like standing around behind them at one point. And he oh, that's did very remind true. me of the guy. Yeah. He did remind me of the guy who works at the enterprise blockbuster. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, it almost sounds to me like you're, I don't know. It's interesting to me, like, when you say you'll forgive them for not having the deep discussion because you understand we have to have some action, it almost sounds to me like you've jumped to the last segment. Because hmm. I kind of want to argue about whether or not we should forgive them for that. Okay. Yeah. There, there's a thing that's been going on with me lately. 
I think I talked to you about it a bit uh, in one particular show um, that we're both watching right now that's not Kolchak the Night Stalker, <laughs> nor is it anything to do with Star Trek. Um, uh, there's a show on right now that I can't tell if it's actually saying anything deep or if it just carries the trappings of depth yeah. with it. Yeah. Um, it, but it never even really addresses death exactly. Now, this episode is about uh, theoretically about death and dying and mourning and all those things. Right. And it never really actually does approach that. I mean, you say not much is made of the fact that uh, Data and Worf have the discussion they have. But honestly, that's the most you get out of this episode mm -hmm. is that examination. Like Data feels some sort of loss, it seems, although it's unclear whether he is going ahead and planning the memorial because his programming indicates that as the best friend, that should be what he does. Or if it's actually some sort of loss. But let's go ahead and assume that it doesn't even matter which one of those things it is. It's when they actually start discussing how people should be remembered and how people should approach death. I mean, that's the closest approach we have to anything sort of uh, deep right. in this episode, I think. Right. Um, I kind of want to say that there are two competing ideas here. The first being like like science over religion or over mysticism in a way. Mm -hmm. um, the second being don't assume uh, that uh, things are exactly as they seem to be. Right. Mm -hmm. Roe assumes that they're dead. And that she and Jordy are basically in limbo. Uh, Jordy, though, in this episode is Mr. Science. Yeah. Um, doesn't seem to him that this is what death would be like, so they're not dead, as far as he's concerned. Uh, simultaneously, everyone assumes that Roe and LaForge are dead, but they're not. And people need to look into that a bit more, maybe. So, I mean, everybody's working really logically here, and yet we're, <laughs> we're sort of being encouraged to... Um, you know, don't just accept what's at face value. Like, like, look into it a bit more. Like, oh, there are absolutely no bodies and there's no trace of where bodies should go or would go <laughs> or could go. Doesn't mean they're dead, so keep looking. In the meantime, nobody can hear Roe. Nobody can see Roe. Roe cannot touch anything except for the other dead guy. And she has this history that says to her, by the way, what happens when you die is you yeah. sort of walk around still and... <laughs> And you have to say goodbye to people before you get to go to wherever, whatever the next thing is, before you get to move on. Yeah. yeah. And it, but even then, I mean, all you've really set up then is like some sort of like impossible paradox, it seems to me. Like, hmm. don't accept what's there at face value, even though everything is there. Because what does that mean? Like, do we know, in fact, that the sun's going to come out tomorrow? Should I get up today or should I like check three sources before I find out whether everything I assume is true, including that the four will be solid under my feet? Right. It's actually going to be a thing. I mean, it's like, yeah, and there, so there, I come back a, again to forgive me. I come back again to this is an episode about death. It feels like it ought to be deep. And yet I think it only carries the trappings of depth. I think when we try to look at what we should be talking about here. We should be talking about last week's episode or next week's episode, in a way. <laughs> right. And, and I'm sorry. Now I feel like I've jumped to the end of the show. No, I no. I, I think you're right. And I, and I think maybe what we have to do now is jump to the end of the show. <laughs> I mean, I really do. Because the, these little nuggets that we're picking up, so the, the, the conversation that uh, Data and Worf have, um, which mm -hmm. I, I thought was the beginning of a conversation. I thought, you know, going back to this idea that you had, is there some sort of... Not a, not a, a struggle, but at least posing some questions about science versus religion. I kind of thought that during that conversation with Data and Worf, um, he mentions human and Bajoran funerary customs. At no point does he say religious 
customs. At no point does he discuss religious aspects or differences in cultures. He just basically says cultures. Here's the human culture and the way they handle death and funerals. And I thought, well, even if we're only talking about humans, shouldn't that be potentially hundreds of if not thousands of variations, hmm. even if you sort of group a lot of those together, if there are thousands of religious beliefs or variations on religious beliefs, even if we group some of those together that have similar funerary customs, you're still talking about a wide variety of beliefs. So I understand that for the sake of brevity in that conversation, um, you can't just sort of go through a laundry list of all of those. But even in that moment, I thought, wow, well, here's Star Trek saying, here are human experiences versus alien experiences. But we really only leave it at that. And we don't bring in necessarily what the Bajoran religious tradition would be, or if there is any sort of religious belief for Geordi, or or even simply Geordi's background. Yeah, you see, that's not where I actually saw the whole religion uh, versus science thing. Where I saw the religion versus science thing was in how the dead people were acting, or how the you know theoretically dead people were acting. So like, yeah, because like Roe was like, "I'm not dead." Yeah, and then somewhere along the way, she remembers the whole religious teaching thing, and so she goes ahead and says, "Well, okay, I guess I am." Right. <laughs> uh, Jordy actually reminded me a bit more of. Um, crusher right when she was in her own little pocket universe and whichever one i can't remember it was the it was the experiment that yeah they if were there's doing nothing that. wrong with me there must be something, something wrong, wrong with the universe, universe. yeah <laughs> exactly yeah. that's sort of where Jordy was on the whole thing mm-hmm. um but i mean like i say they don't even really give you anything on it yeah i mean i i, I so i guess here's what happens if i die and I can still walk around and I can still hear. I'm going to assume I'm not dead, even if everybody else thinks I am. I mean, right. it, is that is that our moral here? Or, Well, again, we have to go ahead and get to the morals part, don't we? Should, yeah. we, should, we, should we hold on for a second and then come back to ask that question? Yeah, sure. Let's do it. Everybody is talking about death and dying. Funny, but it is still next gen to me. That we seem to have lost track of the time in the last segment. This is actually the time of the show where we uh, take a look at the messages, morals, and meanings of a given episode and try to figure out whether the whole thing holds up. The next phase, John. Does this episode hold up as far as you're concerned? Um, so it's interesting. I thought a little bit about the Tholian web when I first watched this one, uh, the next phase. So that original series episode was very iconic, but not a great episode, in my opinion. Do me a favor, please. Yeah. I'm going to say that it's for everybody else. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Remind us exactly what happened in the Tholian web, please. So remember, Kirk is sort of trapped out of phase, and and we see his body. Oh, right, in a he space was the suit. ghost. Yeah, right. Okay, right. It's Ghost Kirk in a spacesuit, floating around on the bridge, and they've got to bring him back. So immediately, I thought of that, and and I remember that as an episode, as a story, was was okay, but it kind of didn't live up to what we remember about it visually. We remember the Tholians, and we remember Kirk in that suit floating around. Um, now this episode is not nearly as iconic, and 
also not a great episode. <laughs> um, I don't think it's totally dismissible. There are good performances here. I think in particular the scenes where the actors are in the room with the ghosts. They're in the same mm-hmm. room. I think those are choreographed very nicely. The dialogue overlaps very nicely. Um, I think just from a logistical directing point of view, those are well done. Um and I think the idea behind the episode is perfectly fine. I had hoped for a bit more, something more introspective. At the end of the day, it's a solve the problem by attacking the tech episode. And even with the Romulans, neither side really learns anything from the encounter. Um, though, as always, good to see the Enterprise crew going out of the way to help their enemy. Um, maybe if this had been a season one or season two story, that it might have been more of a standout. I think in a season, here we are coming up right to the end of season five, and there are so many other standouts. This one is just passable, but not memorable. And it's not memorable for the right reasons, you know? Um, If this had been kind of a mildly passable episode, but maybe with a really challenging idea about life and afterlife and death and and remembering people, then okay, it could have just been a not-too-memorable episode, but with a really interesting emotional punch. This just didn't have that, and uh, and it's unfortunate, because it's one of those situations where uh, I, I like the characters, I like the performances, I love seeing Ro, I think there's so much more that she could and should be doing, um, but yeah, it feels a little bit like a missed opportunity. Uh, how do you feel about this one? Same way. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think this episode holds up. And I was honestly, before having to sit down and actually write out the notes for the episode, I was, I was willing to give it, as you said in the last segment, I was willing to give it a pass. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, it's fine. Mm -hmm. The only problem is we want something more than fine from Star Trek, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And there's too many, like. I got so tired of the manufactured frustration, right? What was Riker going to say about Roe? Oh, it's funny the first time and it's funny the second time. And of course, we'll never know. Will the Enterprise be saved? Um, The group laugh at the end. Oh, my. uh, Will the Enterprise be saved? Actually, how many times did we do that this episode? Was it like in (laughs) Act 3 that they said we're going to build up the Muon wave? And so then it's like Act 3, Act 4, and Act 5. We have the Enterprise is almost destroyed. Right. And oddly enough, by Act 4, I had the feeling that it wasn't going to happen. Wow, really? Yeah, and I know, you, huh? and it, Okay, well, here's the <laughs> thing, though. I know people make fun of that, but I've, I've talked about before. The Corbomite maneuver, mm-hmm. there is real tension in the Corbomite maneuver where they're going to blow up the ship. And here's the thing. I know that that is year one of what is, as we record this, a 50-year, 51-year mission that I know is going to keep going. Yeah. I remember the first time the Enterprise was destroyed. Okay, I remember the second <laughs> Enterprise was destroyed, and I know neither time was in the Corbomite maneuver, but there was a way that they actually sold that tension, Yeah, that even knowing that, I felt it. And in this one, it, it, that just wasn't even there. Uh, the group laugh at the end is absolutely terrible. Sure. Um, what I do wish, and, and so I can't help but like try to solve the problem, I do honestly wish that their roles had been reversed, hmm. that Geordi's role and Ro's role had been reversed. Maybe science dude can think they're dead. Yeah. And Roe, because she's got nothing, no religion, because she said she didn't believe in religion, and mm-hmm. no science, because she's not a scientist, she's a tactician, maybe she is the one who has to cling to the fact that they're alive because she's got nothing else. Hmm. 
meanwhile, Mr. Science dude is like, well, no, but we're dead. Obviously, we're dead. And then he finally has to sort of be like snapped out of it in a way. Then there might have been depth to this episode. It right. seems to me. Right. Um, she goes too quickly. I mentioned it in the pro in the uh, in the uh, recap. Beginning of Act Two. I'm not dead. Beginning of Act Two. I mean, end of Act Two. Come on, Jordy, we're dead. Yeah. You know. I mean, it all just happens. It just happens like, I don't know, too much, too fast, and 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 still, we're not actually saying anything about the human condition. We're not actually saying anything about mourning. We're not actually saying anything about loss. We are, as you pointed out, taking the tack. I don't know. It feels like it feels like once everything is established in Act Two, we're just waiting for the inevitable conclusion of everything is going to be fine. Yeah, and that's yeah. and that's that's thirty minutes. I'm not going to get back. How about you? <laughs> right. Yeah, it's a bit of a missed opportunity. You know, the, yeah. the, there was the opportunity here to have some deep ideas, but they just sort of skirted the line. But given that. Did we learn anything, or did they learn anything? And by proxy, did we learn anything? Any uh, any ideas, messages, morals, meanings? Well, there are only two things that I could think of, actually. The first is one I mentioned, I think, in the last segment. Don't just take things at face value. Although it seems like there are some things that you would need to go ahead and take at face value. And yet, if we're going to try to apply a message to this, I guess that would be one of them. You think you're dead? Don't assume you are. You think your friends are dead? Don't assume they are. I mean, there's like, you know, people digging a little bit deeper would have yielded uh, different, um, or did yield actually different uh, different results than the ones that they expected. Uh, the other one, it's kind of funny because you just said it's great to see the Enterprise help the bad guy. Yeah. Boy, this flies straight in the face of what happened in Iborg, in a <laughs> right, way, because right. they helped the bad guy, and the bad guy were going to totally lie to them and totally let them blow up. Mm -hmm. Hey, thank you very much for your help. My sincere thanks. Mm -hmm. I really do appreciate it. i got to get really far away from you now for no particular reason. <laughs> yeah, right. right? Um, so, I mean, and this is actually the one where you would, I would, exp well, whatever. Yeah. People thought that we were wrong about uh, whether or not Picard should have <laughs> sent Hugh back. Um, this is actually a better example, it seems to me, of why, yeah, don't help your enemy, because then you're just, a, you're just a sucker from the word go if you right, do that. Right, Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I picked up kind of, you know, similar messages that you did. You, you say don't just take things at face value. I, I phrase a little bit differently, which is if you just accept what you're told, then you'll never be able to change your reality. Um, mm. which is kind of where they are. I mean, Roe is ready absolutely to simply accept what she believes to be the case rather than, rather than trying to confirm that that's the case. So that seems like a pretty decent lesson. And I guess the other lesson, Ken, it's just, you know, leave instructions for your funeral. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, Tashiar was, was really good and really um, uh, thoughtful about that, making sure that, that her message was up to date, really up to the minute, you know? So, yeah. Good on yeah. That. All right. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's so there you go. And that's a new service. I think John's going to be starting. I, I'm pretty sure that was an ad for something that's coming up. I'm not quite sure. Might be. Hey, a Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry. You can find out more about everything that Roddenberry is attached to at Roddenberry.com. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, be sure to check out Trek FM. That is Trek.FM. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit TrekMovie.com. Next week, 
the inner light. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. Buddy Holly, Ben-Hur, Space Monkey, Mafia, it is still still next-gen to me. Also, Captain Pigard will get you high tonight. And, I am the Piano Man. Cuckoo-coo-choo. End transmission.